The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. So we're going to be in John 12. I'm going to read John 12, 37 to 50 this morning as we continue through the book of John. But just the invitation that we've given every Sunday as we've worked our way through the book of John. Uh, it really is a, a book that invites us to come, whoever we are, whatever we come from, whether we come from a family of faith or a family of no faith at all. Uh, it's a book that invites us to experience life in Jesus, who was God himself because he came and lived among us, so he understands us, and so he can meet us right where we're at. And today is no different as we're going to come to John 12. Um, and as we begin reading, you're going to see that um, there are some hard words in here. So um, I don't want you to get hung up on the hard words and quit listening, okay? We're just going to keep reading, and then we're going to talk through this passage because it's a great passage. Just because it's hard doesn't mean it's bad, right? Just because it's hard doesn't mean it's bad. And, and that's one of the things we're going to look at today is so often I think we, we think that if something's hard, it's bad often. But So let's read. Verse 37. It says, Even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence. I mean, he, he, he raised Lazarus from the dead. He's healed blind people, lame people. Even though he had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet. And this is Isaiah 53, where Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And the arm of the Lord being a reference, an Old Testament reference to Jesus. Verse 39, this is where it gets hard. It says, for this reason they could not believe. Well, this is why they couldn't believe. Because, as, I, as Isaiah says elsewhere, and this is in Isaiah 6, and we're going to read this later. Verse 40, it says, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts. So they can neither see with their eyes, nor understand with their hearts, nor turn, and I would heal them. Verse 41, Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. That's a great verse to just kind of capture that little section. Verse 42, yet at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved human praise more than praise from God. Then Jesus cried out, Whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me meaning the Father, I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. If anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge that person. For I did not come to judge the world but to save the world. 
There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will condemn them at the last day. For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. Let's pray. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just open our ears, open our, our thinking and our hearts to the truth that you've put in these verses this morning. Father, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. So there's three words that hopefully every one of us have heard many times in our lives. I love you. I was going to say, raise your hand if you haven't heard those words, but uh, we're not going to go there. Okay. Hopefully there's words that every one of us, I mean, we've heard it from a spouse, we've heard it from our, a parent, a, a child, um, a sibling, a friend. Um, I love you. They're words of affirmation, acceptance, commitment, affection. And they say things like, I'm, I'm here for you. I'm yours. You can count on me, right? All kinds of things. Um, I would also venture to say that those words do not or should not mean when I say, I love you, that I will never say anything hard to you. Like, if I look at you and you have a booger hanging out of your nose, right? Sorry, little, this is real, okay? That I love you doesn't mean that I'm not going to tell you that, right? I mean, that's not love. Love would tell you that hard thing because it would be helping you. Um, It would also, if you're a doctor and you care about your patients, it wouldn't mean ignoring that something serious is going on with one of your patients and just say, yeah, you're looking good today, you know. Go home, drink some carrot juice. Um, But you're going to tell them the hard thing of what's going on with them. Um, Children treated with that false idea of love... um, end up to be brats, right? <laughs> I've, I've seen it in some families that we, we, as we were raising our kids and they were raising their kids, it, the parents treated their kids like they were like always right, right? And, the, and every word that came out of their mouth was, you know, it, it was always like, you're great, you're good. And there was never any discipline or any correction it, it, there was this false sense that if if you loved you couldn't say a hard thing three other words God is love God is love I wonder and I've thought about it a lot as I've been preparing looking at these words if, if we don't often make God to be out that same kind, at least in our minds, that God, like, 
like if God is love, that somehow he's a, like a celestial teddy bear, right? Available for continuous hugs all the time and never a harsh word, never a word where he's going to correct us or, 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 or give consequences. He's never come to the point where he says, enough. But it's always this false sense of love to where love can never say or do what is hard. What do you think? You know, we, uh, we like hearing God is love, right? And, and we should because God is love and, and his love permeates everything. And in fact, as, as we talk about love, one of the ways we talk about real love is we talk about love that can be tough love at times, right? It's not just a love that is all mushy and gushy and sentimental and emotional and, and positive all the time, but real love, true love, is also tough love. But I wonder if we love to read about God is love, but you know, as we're reading the Bible and how God is merciful and compassionate and kind, and then we come to a point to where it says, and God, like we just read through the book of Acts together, where um, Acts chapter 5, that probably scarred some of you, where it, it opens up and first thing that happens is Ananias and Sapphira lie to God and and God says, oh, no big deal. <laughs> no, he, he strikes them dead. We turn over that page really quickly, right? And Because it makes us uncomfortable. Like, man, what kind of God is that? That would do things like get angry <laughs> or discipline. Or as we're going to see in this passage this morning, blind eyes talking spiritually and hardened hearts. What does that mean? The big question that we're going to ask this morning is, do we put God into a box of how we think he should behave? I want you to think about that. Do you put God into a box of how you think he should behave? Like he should act this way, he should talk this way, but that's not really nice. That's not godlike. And the big idea we're going to see in answering that question as we come to John, and if we can put John 12 up there again, is this. that, And this is so important for us to get. So important for us to get. That God's glory is both seen in his mercy and his severity. God's glory is both seen in his kindness and compassion and in his harshness and his holiness and in his anger. God's glory. So, we're going to look at three things about how God's glory is seen. If you want to turn with me here. The first one, if you're taking notes, is that... and and and. And coming down to verse 41, we're just going to look there really quickly. It says, Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory. So in Isaiah chapter 6, as Isaiah sees God's glory that we're going to read about, it's, it's Jesus he realizes that he's seeing. Isn't that incredible? I, I like that. 
And so the first thing we're going to see is that Jesus' glory is seen, and that's in, uh, we're going to stay in John right now. Thanks. Um, in these first few verses right here, that Jesus' glory is seen in his severity toward the proud. His glory is seen in his severity toward the proud. Let's read it again, just starting at verse 39. It says, for this reason, they could not believe, those who didn't believe, because as Isaiah says elsewhere, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts. That's, that's hard stuff, isn't it? That's what, that's, that's what Jesus does. So they can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts nor turn, and I would heal them. And Isaiah said this, because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. A couple of things about this that is really, when we see that Jesus' glory is seen in his severity, is the first thing that I want us to remember, see here is that, notice that it's Jesus that we're talking about here. That's what he says in verse 41. Because one of the things that we often do is we separate what we call the God of the Old Testament from the Jesus of the New Testament. We look at the Old Testament and it's full of commands and injunctions and all this. And we say, oh man, that was an angry God. But that's not Jesus, right? We do that. Notice that this isn't the angry, quote unquote, God of the Old Testament that's being. This is Jesus. Because Isaiah saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Number two, it's, and notice that we're talking about Jesus' glory. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory. I want you, we got to get this foundation. This is Jesus he's talking about, and it's Jesus' glory. This isn't just an embarrassing outburst on Jesus' part, right? This isn't just him kind of going through an emotionally hard time when he says, oh, damn them. This is Jesus' glory. Meaning it's a revelation of his character, who he is in all of his beauty, the multifaceted beauty of his being, of his person. That's what's being talked about here. Jesus in all of his glory. But notice then, as we look at these verses, that it's Jesus' glory as seen in his severity, in his harshness. He's blinded their eyes. He's hardened their hearts. Um, it's kind of awkward, huh? <laughs> um, you know, I, I jokingly told Daniel, you know, he uh, it's kind of clever on his part to assign me this passage, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, it's one of those passages you just like to, well, we'll just forget that one, okay? Because I'm sure it's probably a, textual mistake or something. I don't know. The uh, Probably wasn't in the original transcripts. I don't know. <laughs> but it was, and it is. Who would these people be that he's blinding their eyes and hardening their hearts? What's happening? And so if we can go back to Isaiah 6 now. This is the actual whole passage, and we're, I'm just going to read it quickly, but In the year that King Uzziah died, I, that's Isaiah, saw the Lord. And who did he see? 
John chapter 12, Jesus, right? He realized this is Jesus that he's saying. He says, I saw Jesus high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, those are angels, with six wings, with two wings they cover their faces, two they cover their feet, two they were flying, and they were calling out to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Jesus Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And he sees this incredible glimpse of Jesus and all of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. And Isaiah cries out, woe is me, I am ruined. For I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Jesus Almighty. And then one of the angels, Seraphim, flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. And then I heard the voice of, you could say, Jesus saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? That's a great little glimpse of the triune God there. Who will go for us? And Isaiah responded by saying, after he'd seen Jesus in his glory and and seen his own ugliness, his own sinfulness, and then his sin taken away by the sacrifice on the altar, as as it would look forward to Jesus' sacrifice, Isaiah says, here I am, send me. And so Jesus tells Isaiah... Go and tell this people. This is the people that are being talked about in John chapter 12. Notice it's the same. Be ever hearing but never understanding. Be ever seeing but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused or hard. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. And so... The, the message that Jesus is giving Isaiah is a message of speak to these people in a way that they will not be healed, not be saved, but they will, they will go into exile, literally, as it says. Then Isaiah says, for how long, Lord? And Jesus says, until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. This is the land of Israel because of the sinfulness of the Israelite people. And though a tenth, meaning like a remnant, remains in the land, it will again be laid waste, but as the terebinth and oak leave stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. If we can go to Isaiah 65... It describes more these people and why, why the message to Isaiah is so hard, one of judgment and not one of salvation. This is, this is Jesus talking all day long. I have held out my hands to an obstinate people, a stubborn people who walk in ways not good, pursuing their own imaginations, a people who continually provoke me to my very face. This is the people that he delivered out of slavery in Egypt and brought them into the promised land and and gave them an abundance of goodness, a people who 
provoke me to my face, offering sacrifices to other gods in gardens, burning incense to false gods on altars of brick, who sit among the graves and spend their nights keeping secret vigil, who eat the flesh of pigs and whose pots hold broth of impure meat, who say, and this is these Israelite people saying to God, keep away, don't come near me, I'm too sacred for you. Such people are smoke in my nostrils, a fire that keeps burning all day. We're going to look at one other example, but I hope you see that the point here is that Jesus' glory is seen, if you can get this, in his sovereign ability to accomplish his righteous will or to accomplish righteousness and justice in a world of sin and injustice. God's good and perfect will will be done and not the perverted will of sinful humanity who say in your face, God's righteousness and justice responds. Um, You know, ignoring the severity of Jesus' glory feeling uncomfortable with it, kind of like we're uncomfortable if we're in a conversation and, and, uh, and somebody looks at somebody and says something hard to them, even if it's appropriate. What is it? It kind of makes us all uncomfortable, doesn't it? Like um, Ignoring the severity of Jesus' glory acts as if sin was non-existent. <laughs> it's like a parent who thinks that their child can do no wrong. Or a doctor as if their patients are really all well and just need to be cheered up. Jesus' glory is seen in his sovereign ability to accomplish righteousness and justice in a world of sin and injustice. We see a great example of this. If we can go to the Pharaoh example, I'm going to, Really small print, but I want you to get a picture because one of the questions that come up is, well, if God is hardening hearts, what does that mean? Is God making people bad? Is God making good people evil? What is what does it mean when God's hardening hearts? And to be simple, we see a great example here, and I'm just going to read through it. I just picked out some verses regarding Pharaoh as the children of Israel are in Egypt, they're in slavery, and God is delivering them through Moses and Aaron. Uh, and we get the, a great example of what it means for God to harden a heart. Exodus, starting at the beginning, I'm just going to read down some examples. Uh, I know that Pharaoh, this is God speaking, I know that Pharaoh will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. And a mighty hand, again, it's, it's, it's a reference to Jesus in the Old Testament. Unless Jesus compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them after that. He will let you go. Chapter 7, God says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. 
But notice in chapter 8, when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart. This isn't God hardening Pharaoh's heart. He hardened his heart and would not listen to Moses and Aaron. Chapter 9, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not listen to Moses and Aaron. And finally, chapter 10, I'd encourage you just to read through Exodus 3 through 13 if you want to get a full picture of this. The Lord says to Moses, go to Pharaoh for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his officials. And this is the point, so that I may perform these signs of mine among them, that you may tell your children and grandchildren how I dealt harshly with the Egyptians and how I performed my signs among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. As I read through this whole story of Pharaoh, I see a guy who has a hard heart. It's not God making his heart, his heart evil. It's not, he, he, he's this ruthless taskmaster that is, that is, has enslaved the children of Israel. Uh, it, it, they're in misery. He won't let them go. But then God brings these signs and, and I think the pictures that I see, the reason why God hardens Pharaoh's heart, which is hard, but he kind of fixes his heart is so that Pharaoh doesn't let the children of Israel go on his terms. It's on God's terms. It's Jesus' glory is seen in his sovereign ability to accomplish righteousness and justice in a world of sin and injustice. It's, it's not on Pharaoh's terms where after four plagues, Pharaoh says, okay, you can go, and, but not your cattle, and, but but God hardens, he fixes Pharaoh in his hard state so that Pharaoh lets them go on God's terms, not his terms. I want to say it one more time. Jesus' glory is seen in severity, is seen in his sovereign ability to accomplish righteousness and justice in a world of sin and injustice. We go to verse 42, John 12, 42. But that's not the whole picture. It's great as we come here. It says, yet at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in him. I, I, I like it because it's, it's, it says God is revealing the severe part of Jesus' glory to us. He also slips in just the mercy part of his glory. It's the most multifaceted, beautiful picture of Jesus' glory. It's, it's all of it relating to us in a way that he will be glorified and will be blessed. Jesus' glory is seen in his mercy towards the humble every bit as much as it is through his severity to the proud, a proud person like Pharaoh that says, I'm not going to let him go. And if I let him go, it's going to be on my terms. And God says, no, it's not going to be on your terms. It's going to be on my terms. Notice Jesus, that's, that's mercy right there. At the same time, many, even among the leaders, believed in him because of his mercy. Uh, his mercy as we saw in Isaiah 6, and we're not going to leave it, notice it, it, it extends even 
to a remnant to, um, as the, as the as the exile is described in John in Isaiah chapter six, notice there was a remnant there, even in the midst of the severity of god 's anger towards his rebellious people god 's mercy was still there uh, one second chronicles i to me this is one of the most incredible demonstrations of god 's mercy. Manasseh was probably the king of Judah who was responsible for the children of Israel to sin and go into exile more than any other king. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, following the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. I mean, this this was a king of Judah and more evil than any of the nations that God had driven out before them. He rebuilt the high places that his father Hezekiah demolished. He erected altars to the Baals and made Asherah poles. He bowed down to the starry hosts. He worshipped them. He built altars, verse 4, to, in, the, in the temple of the Lord, he built altars to other false gods. Where God had said, my name will remain in Jerusalem forever. In both courts of the temple of the Lord, he built altars to the starry hosts. Look at verse 6. He sacrificed his children human sacrifice in the fire in the in the valley of Ben-Hinnom he practiced divination and witchcraft he sought omens he consulted mediums and spiritists he did much evil in the eyes of the Lord arousing his anger the severity of the Lord he led Judah and the people of Jerusalem astray so that they did more evil than the nations the Lord had destroyed before the Lord and what's the result of that? The Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they paid no attention. So the Lord brought against them the army commanders of the king of Assyria who took Manasseh prisoner. This is the severity of the Lord. He put a hook in his nose, bound him with bronze shackles, took him to Babylon. But notice verse 12, in his distress. This is wicked, evil Manasseh. In his distress, he sought the favor of the Lord his God he humbled himself greatly before the God of his ancestors. And when he prayed to them, him, the Lord was moved by his entreaty and listened to his plea. So he brought him back to Jerusalem and to his kingdom. And then Manasseh knew that the Lord is God. Isn't that incredible? The severity of the Lord, the mercy of the Lord. That's, that's the beautiful picture of, of the glory of the Lord. Jesus' glory is seen not only in his sovereign ability to accomplish his righteousness and judgment in a, in a world so full of sin and injustice, but it's also Jesus' glory is seen in his sovereign mercy to undeserving sinners. And that's all of us. And then the last thing, just to finish John really quickly here, that kind of summarizes at John 12, starting at verse 44, that is so important. Because as I started, one of the things that we often do or people often do is they pit the God of the Old Testament against the God of the New Testament. They picture, pick, pit God against Jesus. And this is an incredible passage that says that Jesus' glory, as it's seen in God's word, notice Jesus cried out and said, whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me, the Father. Look down at verse 49. I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. 
Jesus' glory is seeing God's word in a way that, notice that seeing Jesus is seeing the Father. Hearing Jesus' words is hearing the Father's words. There's no pitting one against the other. It's, it's as if in the, the, one of my wife's favorite movies, The Newsies. Have you seen The Newsies? One of the guys says, as one of the newspaper carriers, is he agrees to go along with the strike. He says, I say that what you say is what I say. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying, is that, is that I say that what the Father says is, is what I say. And it's in the Bible that this glory is revealed. The, the, the unity of the Father and the Son is their mercy and their severity, the, their glory in a world full of sin and injustice that so desperately needs their glory, their mercy, and their severity. What I like about the point here is that Jesus' glory is not up for discussion. Well, what do you think? Should God be more loving? <laughs> it's not up for discussion. But it's for discovery as we spend time in his words. And as we do that, as we spend time in his words, we're, gonna, we're, we're not going to be uncomfortable with the severity because we're going to see it as a part of the big picture of his glory, full of mercy, severity, love and compassion, righteous and holy. A God, the God that we need for us to be the people that we need to be. I want to end just by reading you a scripture uh, in Hebrews chapter 3. Listen, it says in verse 7, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, if you heard his voice in these scriptures that we looked at this morning, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as the children of Israel did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness. It says, where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. And I said, their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Don't let that be you this morning. Verse 12, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has, has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. The glorious living God and in his severity and in his mercy, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Let's pray. Father, it's uh, so easy for us to put you in a box or to view you from our own finite, petty perspective. Oh God, open our eyes to see you as we spend time in your word, to see you in all of your glory, Jesus, in all of your mercy, in all of your severity, the God that we need for the sinful people that we are. Father, to experience the life that you promise us in Jesus. Thank you for these words. In Jesus' name.
Amen.